Good morning. Let me just pray to get us started. Father, thank you for um, for your word. Thank you that it is um, life. Thank you that um, in your word we know you. We find the words of life, and we just pray that today, Lord, as we as we look at this passage of scripture together, that um, we would just um, have a little a little bigger um, picture of your glory, your goodness, um, and what you have for us. And um, we just commit this time to you. Pray that you would get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And Saul approved of his execution. That's the first sentence in Acts chapter 8, which is our text for today. And Saul approved of his execution. So it's obvious that we're starting in the middle of a story, right? Um, When you read something, context is everything. And we read that sentence, it just raises all kinds of questions. Um, Who is Saul? Who is the one being executed? Why did Saul approve of it? What's going on here? We really can't understand what's happening uh, in any particular text unless we understand where it falls. Um, And I love the fact that the Bible is a story, right? Um, The Bible is not just a, a book with a list of doctrines or proverbs, um, even though it contains some of those, but the Bible is primarily, it is a story that spans thousands of years and that chronicles uh, the interactions of God with his people. Um, It's really amazing. Um, Written by approximately 40 different authors um, over at least 1,500 years, Um, and it contains many stories but nevertheless, there is one big story that all that holds all these little stories together. Um, really, is an amazing thing about the Bible. There's no other book in the world like it. Um, it's a it's a story of promises and fulfillment. Uh, the story of the reconcilia- the reconciliation of the broken relationship between God and His people. Um, through God's provision of the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of his son. And God is still writing this story. We are part of the story. Uh, the fact that we are here today um, is, is part of this story that God is writing. This church um, is, has played an important part of the story that God is writing in the history of the world and the, and the function of the church in the world. Um, So God has brought us into the story, and he invites us every day to participate with him in bringing his story to those around us and inviting the world into the story that God is writing. So our passage today, we're in Acts chapter 8. Acts, as, as you may know, is kind of the early history of the church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, In the very first chapter uh, in Acts 
chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples, um, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus makes this declaration that, that his people, his disciples, are going to, to tell his story and to take it to the ends of the earth. Um, it's similar, it kind of uh, reminds us of the very beginning of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, when, uh, when God created Adam and Eve, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply, and essentially to fill the earth with the glory of God. Um, and as we know, Adam and Eve failed at that task, ultimately filled the earth with sin and death all the problems that we see today. Um, but so Jesus in Acts um, is really declaring that he is taking on the assignment to Adam and Eve, and he is fulfilling that assignment of filling the earth with God's glory um, through his people. So this, so Acts uh, 1.8 actually kind of serves as an outline for the rest of the book, when he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The first seven chapters um, all take place in Jerusalem. Okay, so we're in that, that first stage. And then finally, we get, when we get to verse, or to chapter eight, um, we see the expansion begins. Um, the next step in the chapter of the expansion of the church. Um, yeah, let me just read, we didn't, in our reading, we didn't uh, read the, um, the whole chapter, and I won't read all of it either. But just the first couple of verses um, in Acts chapter 8, it says, um, And Saul approved of his execution, which was Stephen, who had been martyred just at the end of chapter 7. And then it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Did you hear that? They were all scattered. That's, these are the believers. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So... Chapter 7 ends with the martyrdom of Stephen, and then we're told in chapter 8 that that was the beginning of a great persecution, so great that the believers fled from Jerusalem, all except for the apostles. And where did they flee to? They fled to the regions of Judea and to Samaria, just as Jesus had foretold. Um, interesting that their, that their fulfillment of that promise or command or whatever, however we understand Jesus' words, uh, was actually through persecution. Um, you know, there's a whole other sermon that probably could be preached about how God uses persecution or even suffering and trials to accomplish his purposes. I won't go into that today, but uh, just point that out, that, that the first expansion of the church um, came as a result of, of persecution, of actually, you know, something bad happening, and yet God turned it into something good. Uh, but Acts chapter 8, as we go on, there's really two main stories. Um, we're going to kind of skip over the first one. Um, both of the stories involve Philip. 
Um, and the, the second story, which we'll talk about, is about the Ethiopian eunuch, and we'll look more into that in a few minutes. But first of all, who is Philip? Uh, Philip, uh, we heard Stephen pre preached on it a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was even last week. It was just last week. Time flies. Uh, but anyway, Stephen was one of the seven men who were chosen uh, to really be servants of, of, the, of the people, uh, to be a food server. Um, he was chosen, it says, because uh, he was a man of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. But we need to notice that he, he wasn't, you know, one of the big guns. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the, you know, the big uh, names of the New Testament. Um, he was just a guy who was chosen among a group of others uh, to serve food. All right. He was an ordinary guy. Um, but let me go on and read a little bit more. Um, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Um, so to escape persecution, Philip went to Samaria. And as he went, he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He was just telling people about Jesus wherever he went. And it says that the crowds paid attention to what he said and that God was using him to do miracles, casting out demons and healing the sick. And I just want to make the, the point that, you know, that God, the kingdom of God is expanded through ordinary people like Philip and like you and me as we go about our lives telling people about Jesus. Just living our lives for Jesus in our daily routines, in our work, uh, in our families, in our interactions with our neighbors. Um, I think one of the greatest dangers to the church is a mindset that says, you know, only the pastor is the one who does ministry. Only the professionals are the ones who are the ministers of the gospel. Uh, the Bible just teaches us over and over again that it is the people of God that are um, the ministers of the gospel, that we all have this 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 joy and this privilege of bringing the, the good news, the story of God and his love to the, to the world around us. Um, so um, I think that's an important uh, thing to, to learn as we, as we just begin this, this uh, reading of chapter eight. Um, there's a, so you know, I've, I've um, had some experience in, in overseas missions and there's a, there's a movement in the last, I don't know, a few decades probably, in our thinking about how to do missions. Um, and there's a, a model of missions called um, business as mission. Um, some people call it BAM, business as mission, or some people call it um, um, business for transformation. And it's really this idea that, um, you know, while of course we need people to go and plant churches and do the kind of the formal ministry things, there is a need um, in all over the world for people to just live and work in the world and to model the life of Christ and what a life of the follower of Jesus looks like 
in the workplace and in neighborhoods and just in daily life. And so there's this idea of there's people who go into um, to go to another country for the purpose of starting a business and and hiring people that they can then work with eight hours a day or 10 hours a day modeling Christ-like behavior, Christ-like attitude, being, doing business with integrity, with honesty, treating customers with respect, um, being fair to your employees, all these things that, that model the gospel. And then, of course, speaking of Christ as opportunity arises and, um, and, and discipling and, and working with people as, as um, you have opportunity. But there is a whole um, mindset of doing missions by putting people into the world and not just in churches in this religious context. Um, and that's, we have that opportunity every day right here where we are uh, to do um, life as mission, you know, whether it's at, in a business, in a school, um, wherever we are, um, that's what, that's what God is calling us to. Um, so anyway, a little sidetrack there, back to our story. Um, the, the part of, the, of Acts chapter 8 that I want to focus on is, is the story about the Ethiopian eunuch, which is what uh, Pastor Steve read earlier. And in that story, um, Philip goes down, or the, actually an angel tells Philip to go down to um, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. He says, this is a desert place. Kind of sounds um, like an unpleasant assignment, uh, but Philip goes. Uh, you can make the point that, you know, Philip didn't even know why he was going, but the angel told him, and so he went. Um, and when he gets there, he finds um, an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot, and it says he was returning home after going to Jerusalem to worship. So who was this guy? Who was this Ethiopian eunuch? Um, well, we're told that he was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Uh, Candace, I just learned in my study this week, Candace is a name kind of like the name Caesar. Um, all of the queens of Ethiopia in that time period were called Candace. Um, it's kind of a titular name, I guess. But anyway, um, Ethiopia at that time was a was not a small country. Actually, it was known to be a fairly powerful and wealthy country. It had it was known for its gold mines. And so, this man, this eunuch, um, it says he was in charge of all of her treasure. So this guy was, you know, kind of a big deal. You know, this guy is not just a you know foreigner traveling to Jerusalem. He is potentially one of the most powerful, wealthiest men of the kingdom of Ethiopia at that time. So when Philip saw him, he was probably pretty intimidated, actually. You know, it would be like a stretch limo. Like today, if you saw some powerful person, you know, in a limousine with attendants and all of this, and... Um, and you had some little nudge from the spirit to go and talk to them and tell them about Jesus, you would probably think, you gotta be kidding me, you know? But, um, but that's what the situation was. So this, this guy was, the, this chariot that he was in, we can imagine it was ornate. 
Um, there were probably a few servants around. I'm sure he was, obviously he wasn't driving it because he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Um, but anyway, Philip um, was told to go up to this, um, uh, well, before I get to there, uh, one other thing. The text doesn't actually tell us this, but many of the scholars that I read um, point out that this that this eunuch, as he was on his way home after going to Jerusalem to worship, he was probably greatly disappointed. He was probably returning home from a trip that he would have seen as a complete and utter failure. Why? Well, because obviously he was a man, you know, who had great spiritual hunger. He was probably what was called at the time a God fear, a, a Gentile who um, was following, the, who believed in the God of the Jews. Um, but he was nevertheless a Gentile. Um, he had traveled somewhere between 500 and 1700 miles to go to Jerusalem. Um, in pursuit of this relationship with this God that he had come to believe in. Um, so he had this great spiritual hunger. He had gone to great expense and great trouble to go to Jerusalem to worship. But when he got to the temple in Jerusalem, he was unquestionably refused entrance. He would have not been allowed to go in with the community of God's people to worship, which is why he had gone to all this trouble. Why would he not have been allowed to do that? Well, because he was an Ethiopian eunuch. Because of who he was. He was a Gentile. As a Gentile, he would not have been allowed entrance into the temple. And not only that, he was a eunuch means he was a castrated male and the and the law the old testament law specifically forbids the castrated male from entering into the presence of the temple so he would have been certainly forbidden from entering into the temple to worship with god's people so he had got made all this gone to all this trouble all this time all this expense probably a difficult journey and he had not gotten what he had gone after. So here he was on his way home, returning home, disappointed, discouraged, frustrated, you know, possibly angry. But his, his spiritual hunger had not gone away because there he was. He was still reading the scroll of Isaiah that he had, trying to figure out who's who and how to know this God that he had heard about. And so God sends Philip. Do you see God's tenderness and care for this man in this act of sending an angel to Philip to tell him, go to this road between Jerusalem and Gaza. God sends Philip. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will knock and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
the Ethiopian eunuch was looking for God. He was seeking God. He was asking for God's presence, and God sent Philip. There are people, I believe, people all around us who are seeking God. As, as we've been saying here for a number of months, God is on the move. He is stirring in the hearts of the people around us a hunger for him. And most of us will never have an angel come and tell us, uh, as Philip did, to go and speak to someone. But we do have impressions, nudges from the Holy Spirit to go and, and talk and share uh, with people. Um, God is on the move. God is on the move. God is drawing people to himself. He's doing amazing things around the world. Um, places where we, you know, would think that God does not, it, it, it is not there. Um, God is at work. Places like Iran. Uh, Operation World says that the, the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world is in Iran. Did you know that? We think of Iran as a closed country, as a strictly Islamic country. But God is on the move. God is stirring people's hearts. God is drawing people to himself in Iran. Uh, China. Estimated that maybe 100 million believers now in China. Again, communist China. They're not allowed to be followers of Jesus there. But potentially 100 million people in China. Um, I could go on, but we'll um, keep going. God is on the move around us. Um, you know, in, in New England, it feels like there's not very much interest in the gospel. People seem to be, uh, you know, kind of beyond God. We don't need God anymore here. Um, but I still believe that at, you know, in the heart of hearts of really every individual, um, there is a hunger for God and people are aware of it. Um, some of you may remember Back in, in 2005, uh, Tom Brady was interviewed on 60 Minutes. Um, anybody remember that interview? Um, Brady, at that time, he was 27 years old. He had already won uh, three Super Bowls. And um, this is what he said on 60 Minutes. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer said, or asked him, what's the answer? And Tom said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And I don't know to this day whether Tom knows what the answer is, but there is an answer of what life has cracked up to be. But I think there's people like that all around us. Uh, anyway, back to our story, the, the eunuch in his chariot. He's on his way back to Ethiopia. The spirit tells Philip, go over and join the chariot. Philip, it says Philip ran to him. Why, why did Philip run? Well, I think because the chariot was moving, right? 
he's on his way back to Ethiopia. So Philip has to run up and he's kind of jogging along beside the chariot. And, um, and it says, you know, he could hear the eunuch reading from Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53, which happens to be probably the best chapter in the whole Old Testament for understanding uh, the sacrificial offering of, of Jesus or the, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, uh, to pay for the sins of the world. So Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip, who you know had been jogging along beside him uh, all this time, finally gets to get inside the chariot. And it says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I wish we knew exactly what Philip had told him, but I'm sure he explained to him um, some of the other verses from Isaiah 53, like, like this one, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Philip would have told him that this prophecy was fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus. And he would have told him how Jesus was resurrected from the dead to show that sin and death had been defeated and that the risen Jesus now reigns at the right hand of God and offers eternal life to all who put their trust in him. And then the next thing we're told is that as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And what's especially cool about that is this is the man who had just been to Jerusalem and had been prevented from worshiping God as he had sought. And now with this understanding of what God had done in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he got it. And even though he asked this question, I think he already knew the answer. It's a rhetorical question. He said, what prevents me? And he knew that there was nothing preventing him from being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why did he want to be baptized? Why did he want to be baptized? We got to witness the baptism today, which was a super special thing. What is baptism all about? Well, it's, it's a very powerful symbol uh, obviously pictures cleansing you know that we're washed clean through the blood of Christ um, it's also a um, it's also a death ritual right uh, Romans 6 says we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism, it's, it's a symbolic picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's a picture of our death with Jesus and our resurrection to new life. Um, 
it's a symbol of, of judgment, right? Water in throughout the Old Testament is, is a symbol of judgment. Think of the flood, think of the Red Sea, where the Israelites walk through by the mercy of God and the Egyptians are crushed by it. Um, but ultimately, baptism is this declaration that we are admitted into life and the community of God uh, through the, the provision of Jesus. And ultimately, baptism is this declaration of our dependence on, on God. Um, as Stephen mentioned, you know, today is the 4th of July. We celebrate freedom. Um, it's Independence Day. But I'd like to point out that, you know, for Christians, every day is Dependence Day. Right? As Americans, we're, we're all, you know, we're all about independence. But as Christians, we really should be all about dependence. We are dependent in everything on the grace and mercy of God. The very breath we take is dependent on his provision for us. Um, so just to, to wrap things up, we started today talking about stories and we had a chance just to look at one little story um, that's a part of the bigger piece of the story that God is, is writing. Um, the title of, our, of the message today was The Church Scattered for a Purpose. Um, and what is our purpose? Um, there's probably a million different ways to say it, but I would say our purpose is to make God's story known and to invite those around us into that story. And as we follow Philip's example, of looking for every opportunity to, to tell God's story, to tell people about Jesus, um, God will lead us to people like the Ethiopian eunuch, people whose God has prepared their hearts with a hunger um, and a desire to hear the good news. The world is, is desperately in, in need of hope, and hope is found here, right? That's our motto. Hope is found here. Uh, when we look around, there's there is so much hopelessness in the world, and we talk that we hear in the news about, um, you know, just the increasing suicide rates and and the depression and so much confusion, loneliness, rampant in the world around us. But we have hope. God is on the move. God is a God of hope, and He is writing a story that He invites us into a story of redemption. God is making all things new, um, and he gives us hope for what lies ahead. Hope is found here. So my prayer for this church and for all of us is that we would be known throughout Salem and wherever we are as a people who delight in the story of God and who have great hope because of all of who he has done, for all of what he has done for us in Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for, again, for your word. Um, please just um, impress upon our hearts um, all of your goodness and what you are doing in our lives and in the world around us. Thank you in Jesus' name.